Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. The Dairy Board of Tourism held a press conference today to deliver some devastating news. With another reported death, hedge mazes have officially become the deadliest maze in the country. This pushes our own labyrinth-like sewers to the number two position with corn mazes close behind. Tall grass mazes still firmly hold the fourth position. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, constant readers? And today we are covering the film The Shining, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. The 1980 film The Shining, directed by, why am I even talking about any of this? (laughs) Everybody knows who directed it, who is in it. So I say we just dive right in let's do it okay we start a little differently we are on a very scenic road trip it's a very serene way to open the film i like it a lot i'm gonna find it hard to talk about this movie because it is very difficult to be so vocally wrong about something <laughs> for so long. Wow. <laughs> we, we've mentioned, I, we talked about this oh, in the yeah. previous episodes mm-hmm. that I, I watched this movie for the first time in high school immediately after finishing the book and I hated it mm-hmm. because of the things that it's lacking from the book. Mm-hmm. And it did not take long into this viewing, my first viewing in 15 years to be like oh what a dumb take <laughs> like i was just objectively wrong this movie is amazing from the get-go just yeah the the visuals of the flyover uh, the isolation the sound the set throughout the entire movie all of the sound is perfect I think, so this is a conversation we've had off mic, but I'd like to bring it on mic because the both of you uh, told me something very interesting talking about this. This adaptation is much like the Running Man adaptation. Just a, l- a wild thing to say. <laughs> but you know what movies are really similar? <laughs> on the, the Shining and the Running Man starring on, Arnold Schwarzenegger. On the level of faithful adaptation, I'm willing sure. to say that. But you both had mentioned to me about the movie and book versions of Annihilation, that they are Mm -hmm. fundamentally different. And Ben, I believe you explained, you shared the reason with me why the movie is so different. For Annihilation. Spoilers for Annihilation. Spoilers for the the movie and possibly book Annihilation is, the reason is that Alex Garland, the guy that made the movie, when he, he read the book, And was like, I really want to adapt this. And then years later, he got the rights and got hired to adapt it. And when he sat down to write the script, he did not reread the book. But that was a conscious choice. Yes, Yes. as a choice. He was like, no, I'm going to make the movie of my impression of the book. Which, for that movie, is really cool because, like, the whole theme of the book is, like, 
adaptation and like mm-hmm. change and things being just a little off but recognizable and it works. And I feel the same way about this movie is it is no, it's not an adaptation of the book exactly. It is an adaptation of the themes and the feeling mm-hmm. yes. of the book. Yeah. And that is I'm really glad that watched the movie and I I got what you guys are talking about because it put this movie into perspective for me in a very new way that really made me appreciate this more than I had the first time. There are so many points and I'm going to bring them up, but there are so many points that are not direct adaptations from the book. But when I saw them, it made me immediately made me think of scenes from the book that are not in the movie. It's in the spirit of. It's, it's yeah, yeah, the feeling, the, the like dread and the, the isolation, like I said, are, uh, mm-hmm. the feeling of being lost is so good. <laughs> the problem is that you, I know we're getting like just very overarching. Yeah, so I sorry, got into this, <laughs> But it is the fact that where the problem still lies for me is that, yes, this is very much a telling of how scary and that dreaded feeling. But I also don't care about a single character because I disagree. I have. Very different feelings. Interesting. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, you know who I care about? Tell me. Get this car back on the road. I care about Stuart Ullman. <laughs> okay, I have the same thought. <laughs> he was kind of more the guy Ben and I, I think, imagined when we read mm-hmm. the book. <laughs> he was just a fine dude, just doing his job. And the conversation went much differently. We don't have to talk specific details because we've already covered the book. But just this first section, the interviews, this movie mm-hmm. has title cards. Of course, we all know that. What did you guys think of how how we meet Ullman, how we meet Jack, how we are introduced to the Overlook and the information we are given about it and how it was given? I would argue to say we get through this whole scene and still aren't introduced to Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I, I, we need to not break it down like scene by scene. Right. I'll be here all like, night. Chunks, because, yeah, it starts with this interview and Ullman is just a dude. Just a dude. He's like yeah. not – you don't even get a hint of no. like assholery. Mm-hmm. He's just doing his job. But – uh, and we get Jack, who is all smiles and mm-hmm. like is still very Jack Nicholson about everything. <laughs> the man can't help his face, <laughs> but he like just from the things he's saying and the way he's acting, we're like, oh, he's just an everyman. What kills it is that the scenes we get with Wendy and uh, mm-hmm. and Danny <laughs> interspersed with this first interview give us the. Like something's not right. Yeah. Here. Yeah. They give you a really spooky feeling because as Jack is talking to Ullman, we are with Wendy and Danny and we'll, we'll talk about how Tony comes through in just a second, but yeah. first just to set up the scene, Wendy and Danny are at home and she's talking to him and he's telling her, Hey, well, Tony's telling her that Jack got the job and he's going to be calling soon to let her know. And that happens, and it, it's just a cool way in the movie version to kind of show us what Danny's all about. <laughs> I love this kid. Mm-hmm. This kid does such a <laughs> good, really good, uh, good job. I wanted to know your opinion, Josh. <laughs> the the man God. who uh, notoriously hate, yeah. hates children. <laughs> actors. Children, yes, children actors. actors. For the first chunk of it, I hated him, and then I warmed up to him. When when he starts being scared all the time is really when I'm 
I like his scared acting. Mm -hmm. Scared acting is a very difficult thing to pull off correctly. Mm -hmm. And those moments are very believable. I there's a reason for that. Oh, Stanley <laughs> oh, Kubrick oh, is yeah. a piece of shit. Uh, that's <laughs> oh, did he do something to the kid too? Oh, I, I know, know he tortured. No, I I don't think so. I, th no? I think he saved all of that for Shelley Duvall. Yeah, yeah Shelley Duvall. Uh, okay, now sorry, sidetrack. We must explain. I think everybody knows, but as we're gushing about this movie, I do want to acknowledge that Shelley Duvall's performance initially picked apart, like the whole movie. This wasn't really widely well received, and then that changed. And so did the perception of her performance because she got worst actress. Yeah, and then that's that insane. was yeah. that's insane. Well, that, Razzies are garbage anyway. Yeah. Like yes. those are they're but, a stupid I mean, thing. But that was out there, and then that was rescinded because people found out how Stanley Kubrick treated her, which was awful. So it's really a horrible way to feel about the movie, but it's so many layers deep because we're we think we're watching Jack abuse her. And it's this actress being abused by this director. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy to me that anyone ever said this was a bad performance because this is literally one of the most insanely powerful performances I've ever seen in a horror movie. It's just the reason for it makes the movie mm -hmm. a, a, a considerably more difficult watch. Yes, and she had initially in interviews and stuff talked about what happened as he got what he needed to get from me to get a good performance. And then I think years later, mm. she just finally found the courage to say, oh, no, actually that, yeah, that was. Terrible. I was just being abused. Yeah. 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 Like he was a shitty director for not knowing how to direct his actors or. Actresses higher, specifically. Yeah. So anyway, also reflecting on her performance, I think a lot of the criticism too, in comparing it to the book is that she's just this weak, sniveling, whining character. I don't see her that way. Oh, not I at see what? her. No. No. She is wow. terrified yeah. the whole time and just trying to make it through. And I don't see that as her just being wimpy and whiny. She's, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, the, I completely agree. Yes, she is crying and clearly just like On the verge besides of a breakdown. herself. Yeah. But just the that fact. That doesn't make you weak. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I think Shelley Duvall's performance is just absolutely mind-blowing. And I don't know. Uh, Wendy Torrance is just like such a, a fucking strong, amazing character uh, in the book. As mm -hmm. you know, I can't help bring that with. And, yeah, and that could be part of it too. But I, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. It's all very hard to talk about. God, <laughs> God bless Shelley Duvall. Yeah. I, I wish every good thing on her. In in the, you know, the big scene with the bat, I was, the whole time I was thinking how much my heart is breaking for her because of what I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that probably influences. Yeah. It definitely changes things a little Will bit. Well, you see this person, it's like these layers of this person playing a person too, but both of them being strong and as strong as they can be under the circumstances. I, her first real scene killed me with the, so Danny uh, has like the seizure that we get later. He mm -hmm. falls in the bathroom or something. And we, this is still ongoing as Jack is having his interview. We are cutting to the doctor at the home, checking him out. She's, you know, alluding to seizures and they take their conversation into the living room to talk about Tony and when that all started. And, you watch Wendy talk about, kind of talk around it, and then finally get to it. And let's just talk about 
the reaction to this, everything in this moment that kind of made it like really horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> well, and right before that, sorry, we should also say the the scares in it are quiet and hor- horrifying because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. when Danny has this moment, we cut to a shot of the elevator with the blood, you know, that very so iconic great. scene yes. and just the sound bed that exists in this moment. And then we cut to Danny's face and he's like silently screaming and we get a flash of the twins and it's nothing like it isn't these musical stings. It's it's just so perfect. Yeah. And and when we get back to Wendy, she's talking to this doctor and it, it's kind of become a meme recently. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Wendy's cigarette. <laughs> the ash, yeah. Oh, so yeah. so <laughs> that she, it's cutting back and forth. Wendy lights a cigarette and she's holding it and she's cutting back and forth between her and the doctor. The doctor's asking questions about when Tony showed up. Tony, of course, being the little boy that lives in Danny's mouth. <laughs> like we all have. Crazy. Un- <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think about that? Terrifying. Stupid. Dumb. <laughs> no, dumbest thing. I. It, it is such a little kid thing. Oh, I can definitely and see it's it. it's such a creepy thing for a kid to say completely earnestly. I, I thought it was amazing. I was like, oh, that's really unsettling but that see- he... Conceptualizes. Or do you hate it because it's not the book? It, or? No, it, it's because kind of. It's not okay. Danny. Like we we Ben, you specifically defended Danny's not a creepy kid. This kid's creepy. Like the, we don't get any of like the precocious kid full of life and any happiness. He uh, is very. There's none of that. The thing I took it as, and I I hope this isn't. A problematic thing to say. He's very autistic coded. Interesting. Um, he is very flat and affectless in his delivery, mm-hmm. and he very rarely makes eye contact with his parents. There are several scenes where he will just stare blankly mm-hmm. uh, ahead, and that's kind of how I. T- it's just this kid is the, he has this shining because you know it, it's the. It, it, it's a trope in King, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, that uh, that autism is often kind of paired with superpowers or magic. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah, because it's atypical. It, it lets you access something else. Yeah. Not kind saying a, that that is a good trope right, or bad, but, but that is the way mm-hmm. that I viewed it, which kind of makes sense because I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that Kubrick was on the spectrum. That might be completely false, but I don't know. I uh, anyway, but yeah, I, I thought Danny's... It was definitely different than the book. Yes. Anyway, what was I talking about? How you <laughs> we were talking about the doctor scene. Oh, yeah. The, the doctor is... They're talking about why, when Tony showed up and Wendy starts smoking the cigarette. She's sure, like, her hand is shaking. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's shaking. already shaking. That's amazing. And she says, you know, uh, you know, he got... he was It was when he first went to school and he got hurt and... Uh, you know, whatever. And then the doctor asks, how did he get hurt? And it cuts back to Wendy and the ash on her cigarette has extended a solid halfway down the cigarette. Yeah. It is a comically large ash. And it just shows that immediate jump in like tenseness. Like she hates this question so much. She smoked half of a cigarette in one drag. Or she's just been sitting there. <laughs> oh, like, God. Like it was a That's- time jump. That is a, a oh, theory that. that's out there. There's a whole, there's a YouTube video I didn't about. I that was a theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a whole video that breaks down the movie 
from the perspective that the entire movie is Wendy's madness. I hate that. It, it plays pretty strong. Nah, I, I fucking hate that so much. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I hate, wow, Ben. I hate that they're like, hey, this uh, movie about toxic masculinity, what if it was the woman's problem? <laughs> oh, I this, fucking hate is that. Is this movie about toxic masculinity? I want you to sit with that question <laughs> oh for a second, gosh. bud, and think about how everything Jack does is because he is the man of the house and his responsibility is to take care of his family, even if it means murdering them. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. I feel like as the person leading this episode, do I do something? Right <laughs> oh, no, I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying, yeah. I, I guess my... I, I Man, I just... Yeah, this movie is great and crazy, but so, God, because <laughs> there is so much and you are essentially uh, overstimulated with all of the detail to yeah. notice, yes. <laughs> so much of this movie turns one note for me in sections about the characters. So... I don't attribute anything Jack does to toxic masculinity. I attribute everything to that level of fear and madness that Kubrick wanted to set. This movie's formulaic to me. This movie is is extrapolated pieces of tension and horror. Yeah, but all together. of those things happen for a reason. Like there's. I guess I don't feel that it establishes the reasons via just the film. Okay. As opposed to how we we can trace back all of that in the book, all of the the toxic masculinity, the generational abuse. We get all that from the details we pull from the book, taking this movie just as what it is, because it's because these characters in this movie are not the characters from the book. We can pretty much divorce all of that immediately because it's just Jack Nicholson, the, this Jack Torrance. You don't know anything about him, really. Nothing about his past, nothing about why he is the way he is, nothing that informs these things. And because by the third scene with his family, he already hates them. It just seems like all of Jack Torrance's motivation is madness. It's and that's that's the one note that I'm referring to that it comes off for me. I, I understand what you're saying. He's it's a, he's distilled these elements in each of these characters, yeah. and those are the primary focus of the film to create is the specific atmosphere that it has of just tension and creepiness and strife. I feel like that's what you're saying. Yeah, I and, agree and with it that. Fucking but works. I, I, it works. And I hard. like it. Yeah, I think it. I understand. What he did, well, I mean, who knows if I do, but <laughs> but I, in that any of those moments, there was always something about them, something in there that told me more about the character that I know from the book. And I think you have to have those two pieces together mm. to really get that full picture, which is weird because wow. it's like almost like a super fan adaptation. He's like, well, I don't <laughs> need to tell you. It's all here. I'm going to give you this visual journey that is slightly, you know, Ben, sorry, yes, go I, ahead. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited because, like, I agree completely. It's it's the same thing, what we were just talking about. This is one of those movies 
where the book is not better than the movie. The movie is not better than the book. They complement each other if you take them together. Like we say, you know, this is an adaptation. We're going to try and take it just as a movie. But I, I'm sorry, you can't consume any media in a vacuum. Right. We in this, if we except had seen. Except for The Running Man. <laughs> except for The Running Man, which is perfect. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, how many zones does this movie have? <laughs> One at most. Um, <laughs> but, uh, fuck, what was I saying? <laughs> God damn it, I can't. Take this, you can't. You, yeah, you can't you take, take anything in a, in a vacuum. And if we, if, I wish I could have seen this movie before I read the book. I do. Because I would love to know what I thought about the movie without the context of the book. We here at the table have the context, and that informs, at least for me, it informed a lot of my reading of the themes of the movie. Yes. I saw so many things that someone who loved this book put in the movie. Yes. They, he yeah. didn't make them over. The, so the thing, Ben, when you said you wish you had seen it first so you yeah. could under you know, like know what that interpretation would be we were sitting there when it came to the first lloyd scene specifically i, I turned yes. to you guys i was like holy fucking shit the way the shot is set up because jack comes in the gold room jumping way ahead oh, sits down matter. at the so bar good. there's nothing in there you know he turns on the light he's just got his face in his hands he's so put out and he's like oh i wish i had a beer and then he you're facing him all of a sudden he's looking directly into the camera pulls his hands down smiles at you so awesome and then he's like hey lloyd and it cuts to lloyd and we know what all of this means because we've we've read the book and i'm just like god i wish i could see this not knowing that because i want to know what i would have made of this because it's otherworldly it's it's Mm -hmm. sudden and Wait, unexplained. You've see, you saw the movie before you read the book. You Oh my god, I did. <laughs> I keep, I keep <laughs> I, This is the only book. <laughs> you guys, I can't not you you understand <laughs> that I haven't read this book before we no, covered it. It's okay, CM. You I don't know why. You've always read this book. <laughs> oh my god, I'm Jack. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> to be fair, my brain is the I, I, <laughs> I also saw it before I read it, and it does feel like I've never seen it before. Okay, thank like, you. <laughs> it did just because going into it the very first time I watched it, which as I discussed on the show was probably at least two decade. decades ago. Yeah. Hey, hey, I want to cut that out. No, so, no. so good. It stays forever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and listeners, uh, I am humiliated. <laughs> I just need you to know that. <laughs> okay, we, oh, we're talking lost about track. the doctor's. <laughs> Are we? Are we still there? Never oh my, god. <laughs> my god. It's so late, listeners. We don't record this late usually. Oh, so yeah, sorry. if I was in the middle of making a point and did not ever reach it, oh, I, I don't know what to tell me, you. I'm, I'm going to wrap Do up it, the Josh. point. The point is that when Wendy finally does tell the story of how Danny's arm was broke, she does it in such a apologetic, excusing way about what Jack did and she gets through telling the story and it cuts back to the doctor who looks 
quietly horrified. Mm-hmm. And then the the world moves on. Yeah, she doesn't say a word. And it holds on her yeah. for so long. It's sorry, we got interrupted from that powerful moment by like 10 other powerful <laughs> moments. And I have to figure out. <laughs> okay. I told you, I'll this is going to be I'll a fucking this. hard one to talk about because there, it, it's so uh, chock full of unbelievably good uh, imagery, acting, everything. Okay, let's talk. We, we are at the hotel. It's freaking gorgeous. There are references to it being built on an Indian burial ground. There are a lot of Native American references throughout this film. We're not even probably going to get into it. That's because it's, whole it's other never thing. pointed out. It's one of those things. There are theories. If, if you the, go yeah. watch the documentary room 237, and it goes into all of the absolutely bonkers theory crafting mm-hmm. that people have done about this movie, yeah. which also makes this hard to talk about because <laughs> I, know. I feel like a complete dumbass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as it's, opposed to the people that research this movie like yeah let so a cool thing we're going to get more about like just the way this hotel is set up which is a very house of leaves for us but Danny is in the playroom and this is kind of our first i would say real scare yeah and ben i loved what you said at the end of this scene yeah cuz he's he's playing darts poorly this kid sucks. I was like, he's doing great. He looks better than I do. He hit the board at least. That's yeah. a good it's point. so much higher than him. But he he turns and there in front of him are two little girls in creepy blue dresses and they just stare at him. But he doesn't just happen to turn. He stops and it holds on him and it does it long enough that you understand that he is sensing something and feeling something. And then he just slowly turns and it's just this moment where he stares. There's this like kind of medium wide shot of these two little girls standing in this empty room and they stare at him and then they turn and they walk away. And I turned to you guys and said, how did he find a scary way for two little girls <laughs> to leave a room? It's the little smile they share before they turn and walk away it, that got me. For me, it's the fact that they just they keep holding hands. That is and very creepy. It's just unnatural. Do you looking. think they're holding hands because they're scared of each other? Like they're creeping each other? <laughs> <laughs> but they're all they have. That's like great <laughs> theory. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Uh, we get a lot of dialogue right out of the book, too, especially when we meet Dick. There, that's one thing at the beginning of the movie. There is a lot of exposition dumps uh, that I, I had not realized how much information needs to mm-hmm. get out for a premise that is basically their ghost in this hotel. <laughs> and when Dick shows Wendy the pantry, Wendy and Danny, that music the sting music tells this, us something bad is going to happen with this pantry later. It's, fuck, it's so fucking genius. Mm-hmm. We, we have to t- just the music in general. <laughs> it's not music. It, it does. <laughs> the yeah. sound of the movie. Yes. It, it pulls its fucking weight. It does. There are so many scenes that are just long shots of people walking down a hallway that are instantly incredibly effective just because there is a band going insane on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's the one in the pantry got me so badly. One, because I think it's the first one we get that's so jarring, but it really is such a dynamic tone shift. 
because it's such a leisurely pace that Dick mm-hmm. is walking and normal them through. Conversation. It's all completely normal, and this mm-hmm. music is just the the music makes you take in every detail of the room because your brain is thinking something's happening right now, mm-hmm. and I need to be aware. <laughs> so, Josh, question for you because you're not into the film's interpretation of Danny's power. What did you think of when we saw? Because we've seen The Shine too, and it was him kind of having those visuals and looking terrified and doing a great job looking terrified. What did you think of when Dick started talking to him while he was talking to Wendy? I love that. I thought that was great. Nice and smooth mm-hmm. way to, to drop it in. And it shows uh, how second nature it is for Dick. Yeah, it looked effortless. And I was like, because in the book, you don't think about it because you're not seeing it. You're like, he's talking it, but and talking. <laughs> right. Just to carry on two full I conversations very, at once. I can barely carry on one full conversation. <laughs> same. Big same. I, everyone's heard this episode so far. None of us can. <laughs> <laughs> we get the warning about room 237, not 217. Call it what you want, though. It'll be fine either way. And then we, well, just because if we get confused. No, and I, say, I, yeah. I, I just, I think back because I don't know if this is true or not, but it's the, it, it's so funny that it's such a dumb reason. The reason that I heard for the number mm-hmm. change was because they didn't want people to not want to stay in that room at the actual hotel. So they made it a room that doesn't exist at that they hotel. They didn't understand horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't understand that they just, just sell the fuck out of that room. Yeah, it's just a, a, I was like, of all the things Kubrick did, that's what a weird choice for him to be considerate there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of like cool elements that he put into a film that everybody thinks he didn't read the book for, <laughs> Jack is wearing a Stovington t-shirt. The, oh, God, that made me so happy. What a little amazing mm-hmm. Easter egg. So we are with the family. It's a month later, and Jack and Wendy are having a conversation. She's brought him back breakfast. And I just want to mention this because it was very scary. They're kind of having that conversation of, okay, we've been here a month. How are things going? Checking in with each other. And he tells her, you know, I've never been happier than I am here. And I feel like, you know, the moment I walked in for my interview, I felt like I had been here before. What did you guys think of that moment and how it relates to the Does it work for you? This is a point that I made a note that basically from this point on, nearly every line of Jack Nicholson's could end with, you stupid bitch, and it would all fit. Like, Mm. that's the tone that he keeps from this moment on. And to hear... Like, condescending. Yeah. And to hear him talk about how well he fits into this place... That's the words he's saying are very happy. Mm. The tone that he is speaking to his wife is not. And it is very jarring and cool. Yeah. uh, Jack from the jump is a bastard. I think I understand what you mean, Josh, when you say you don't care about. But having a protagonist that is a bad person is still interesting, you know. And I don't know. I, I think there is... If I understand correctly, the way you feel is that, like, there is not enough of a shift between early movie Jack and the end. Is that kind of Yeah, more or less. I just, I I disagree with that. I mean, there's a sharp (laughs) shift. Yeah. I mean, not saying there isn't a shift. It's not a shift from a guy you can like to be a character that you like. I want, I don't even necessarily have to like him. I just want to be able to root for this troubled person Mm. and that's what the book gives me is those Mm -hmm. times where i can root for jack a little bit even though i know he's not gonna turn it around i can i can hope whereas this 
I there's no moment that I could see being empathetic towards Jack. I am so happy that I had the reaction I did to Annie Wilkes because <laughs> you no. really you really uh, walked so I could run. Here, <laughs> hearing you talk about this, if I hadn't had that response to her character, and especially the film version, I would be so concerned. <laughs> Which is probably how you guys felt listening to me. So I am sorry. Listen back. You'll hear it. Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> I I understand what you're saying. And I don't think the movie would have suffered having having more of a kind of normal person. But I'm fine with it either way, yeah. I guess. What I will be very interested in is when we watch the mm-hmm. miniseries, because I feel that is the the interpretation of the character I wanted to see. So yeah. I will be really excited to watch it with you guys when we cover it later for Patreon to see if that helps you guys relate to where I'm at with this character. Okay, I think I just figured out, I just formulated the, the, <laughs> the thought that I, I think that this actually is a lot closer to Book Jack than we think because so how, how much of that empathy is Jack's manipulation. It's his self. I am empathetic towards him, but so much uh, you can only be empathetic for so long if someone is unwilling or unable to change. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't put in the work, you know, and in this movie, we don't see his inner monologue of how much he hates himself. (laughs) (laughs) True. So so we don't get that. Oh, this poor guy. He, he's sad that he's, he's a monster. He's thinking about trying. Yeah, he's thinking <laughs> about trying. But I think if we saw, without any of the inner mind workings of Jack Torrance, what we get on the page in the book, pretty close to the Jack Torrance we see on the book. I would agree with you more, because I definitely, I'm on board, mm. if we had one or two positive Jack Wendy scenes. Like we get okay. in the book that we get the glimpse because those are also without internal monologue when we get glimpses of who Jack was before he started this downward spiral completely and didn't get therapy. Ben, you're right. Josh, you're right. <laughs> well, what what you just said made me think specifically. I made a note when we're in the car going. It's at like on their way to Is that as far as we are in the movie? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Because I believe it. I'm going back a minute. (laughs) When the whole family is on the way to stay at the Overlook Mm -hmm. and Danny's kind of crouched towards the front seat, he's in the back and you have the three of them in the shot and my note was, Jack Nicholson seems like he didn't want or ask for this kid to be in the back of his car. He shows, he doesn't seem like he's with them. Yeah. Like they are important to him. The first time he smiles in the presence of his family is when explaining the Donner party to his five-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, He gains joy explaining the idea of cannibalism to a kid. And celebrating that his kid already knows it. Because of TV. (laughs) Also, we need to mention, because it's very important, rather than the hedge animals, we have the hedge mage. Thoughts? It is responsible for my favorite moment in the entire movie. There is, uh, we're introduced to the hedge maze. And, you know, watching it this time, I was like, it makes sense that they removed the hedge animals. It's 1980. How the fuck? So uh, it would have looked really would've fucking It would have been stop lame. motion. Yeah. Which it wouldn't have fit with this movie. It, it would, would be cool. not. <laughs> so they have this really awesome 
hedge maze. And there is a scene that it's been a month. Jack is an asshole and he is in the hotel uh, throwing a ball, bouncing a ball off the walls As when we, we he should be writing. From the yes. perspective of his writing chair with yes. his typewriter in the forefront. It's so beautiful. Yeah, after it's telling Wendy, like, I have to write. This yeah. is very I'm important working. that I'm working. Mm-hmm. And then he's fucking around with this ball. And he's kind of wandering around this lobby or the Colorado lounge or wherever mm-hmm. he is. Uh, because it is impossible to tell where anyone is at any point in this movie almost. Intentionally. Yep. Intentionally. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. But he he kind of wanders, he throws the ball away and he wanders off and there is a small scale model of the hedge maze. Right before this, we have seen Wendy and Danny head into the hedge maze and there is this unbelievably cool shot where it cuts from Jack looking down at the hedge maze to a unreally distant mm-hmm. helicopter shot above the hedge maze of, with Danny and Wendy walking in the center of it. It's the playhouse scene. He's the giant. See, what it made me think of, that I love that, but for me, it was the scene in the book when the snow starts. That line that we read out loud in episode <gasps> yeah! two. All I could think was they are as small as uh, yes. microbes in the belly of a monster. It, yes. That... That is what I was talking about when I'm like, this is not in the book, but it so perfectly yep. captures the mood and the 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 feeling that these characters are going through in the book. You know what you just made me think of? Hmm. I hope this makes sense. Buckle up. <laughs> I'm I ready. I, okay. These are my favorite CM <laughs> <laughs> You describing that way made me feel like, and kind of going back to our previous conversation of things he incorporated that you have to read the book to really make those connections. Mm. The atmosphere that the music creates, the sound bed and all of that, Mm -hmm. that is for me the cinematic adaptation of all of the stuff we get in the boiler room with like the creepy poem and him looking through the book and the scrapbook and the hotel history. That takes up that space in my head for this spooky element. I, Did that make sense? No, I love that. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Yeah, that's, okay. that's amazing. That kicks ass. I just think the sound bed, this is going to be a weird way to describe it, but I realized watching this two and a half hour movie, mm-hmm. I could not physically get comfortable. Right. <laughs> because yeah. of the atmosphere and I think partially the sound bed is to, I guess, fucking reward oppressive. that too. Yeah. Because like I just, I could not relax yeah. this whole movie. And even when it kind of goes not disappears, but backs off and you're not really hearing anything, that atmosphere is maintained. Like you can't, it's, a, it's not a movie you want to pause. Like I was hungry and I'm like, I just, I can't. I just won't eat dinner <laughs> yeah. tonight. <laughs> With an hour left, we're like, should we yeah. order food? And then I was like, no, 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 let's go. Yeah. The idea that because the sound bed is so crazy, the silence is also a different kind of eerie sound bed. <laughs> yeah. Is <laughs> just it, again, I could not be comfortable the whole time. Yeah, it was perfect. Can, can I just take a second to Google whether sound bed is a term? Is that a real thing? Yeah. You're yeah. the audio engineer, CM. You should yeah, know. Yeah. So I use I said sound bed because I'm I'm talking about the talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I am talking about the not just the score, like the musical aspects, but there are also elements that I don't think are like. If you got the score uh, on an album mm-hmm. for a movie, it's usually song type things. And sometimes it'll include 
the incidental like loops music. or yeah. yeah, and other sound effects and stuff too, depending on what kind of thing it is. Usually they do that for video games. So I just use the term sound bed because that that's like like fully. I, I just never heard the term, and it does fit. I, I just I like hope it. it's a real no, term. Yeah, I term. assumed it was okay. <laughs> You know what? Years After watching of, years this movie, of post-production of Tommy Plenty. <laughs> After watching this movie and forgetting that I hadn't read the book first, <laughs> you could tell me I don't know anything and I don't believe you. <laughs> Let's jump into room 217 because Danny sure does. What room? Uh, 237. See, that's why I said <laughs> disclaimer. We will call it two something. It's, For sure. It's such a great moment. Because much like the book, we don't see what happens. This scene, it is put on the end of Jack waking up from a horrifying dream where he chopped up his family. And he tells Wendy all about this. He tells it in And I guess to every his credit, he's he crying about it. Sure. <laughs> uh, there was a moment while he was crying that I thought he like half looked to be like, you buying this? All right. Oh, God. Uh, there's just like a slight moment. And I That's really believed Jack it. That's just face. It might be, yeah. <laughs> But so this big emotional moment is happening and she and Wendy's holding him and he's sobbing and Danny walks in and you just see him from behind and you can see the his shirts like torn or uh, mm-hmm. messed up a little bit. And Wendy's like, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. He doesn't respond. He just keeps walking closer and the camera's moving in with him and it gets a few Everything's okay before Wendy actually takes in what she's seeing Mm -hmm. and then runs over to Danny. And when you see it, man, his neck is Mm. gross looking, his shirt's all torn up. And then Wendy shifts gears and immediately, you did this to him, scoops him up, leaving to my favorite Jack Nicholson moment (laughs) as he's like holding his head like, what the fuck just happened? His facial expression in this scene, uh, I can't even describe. J- Jack Nicholson, the whole movie, is unbelievable. Insane. Unbelievable. The face acting this man can do can is I, unreal. Can I tell on you guys? Yeah. Josh oh. and Ben <laughs> Okay. Re- declared that Jack Nicholson is a very sexy man. <laughs> okay, so we're... <laughs> CM, let me let me defend like my position. Because <laughs> CM, the, you you brought up that you you had thought that he had been voted sexiest man alive, which to my research, he I, had, it must have been Playgirl or it was something, something. He was yeah, but he was considered a like sex a sex icon. symbol, yeah. right? And I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, same. As the movie went on, I was like, okay, not this Jack Nicholson. <laughs> But Chinatown Jack Nicholson? <laughs> well, there were hints of like, him. Yeah. In yeah. I totally get it. CM came on board at probably the worst moment <laughs> yeah, she could come on board. Yeah, you're telling on us. Yeah. You turned well, to us during the staircase scene I and thought, were like, you know what? I think you guys might be right. <laughs> I thought you guys would respect girl power too much to run me out on that. But yeah, when Jack was, uh, listeners... Just support me and love me. When Jack was (laughs) coming at Wendy with the bat, it was just the way he was like delivering his lines is very intense. Oh yeah, very erotic. Not not that he was going to hurt her. That yeah, I saw you look at me when you did a head thing. (laughs) Don't don't head tilt me like that. No, yeah, he. Anyway. Uh, it's yeah Josh was like oh is he giving you George Stark vibes it's like fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Where were we? <laughs> uh, the ash on the cigarette is uh, oh very important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ben, as you said, Wendy yells at Jack. She runs off with Danny, takes a grabs a butcher knife on her way through the kitchen. I think. Not Wait, yet. No, oh, we're, no. Okay. Because that's not until after she locks him in the, the storage. Room. Oh, this is when Jack goes to the bar. We already talked about yeah. that, mm-hmm. except I want to read the line he delivers because it made me feel like when we read the book and there was like a line that we're like, oh, oh my shit. God, holy shit, somebody wrote this line and it's perfect. Before he, he he's toasting to Lloyd before he takes his first sip, he says, here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm it caused me. Yikes. Yikes. That says so yeah. much. We get a lot of the Jack proclaiming, like, I would never hurt Danny. Uh, I never, I'd never lay my hands on that little bastard. I love the little shit. And uh, it's so powerful because he's denying I would ever hurt him. And then he does the thing he does in the book. Well, I heard him once. So it wasn't as, it wasn't as powerful, but it had that element. It's pulling through. It's just as good in the different way that he breaks it down. The way he minimizes it with just, yeah, it was just too much. Like it was just a, a a microscopic piece of pressure there's no sympathy in the movie mm-hmm. when he, you you don't feel his self-loathing you right. feel his arrogance that's what it is there's self-loathing it's we his, get in the book yes, arrogance his denial his yeah. yeah it's very powerful wendy comes to jack and it's like we cut from him with the drink and the bar is fully stocked and lloyd is there and when she walks in it's like we saw him initially. There's nothing there. So cool. And she says, Danny told me what happened. There's a crazy woman. She's extremely like upset and, and freaked out. And Jack's like, all right, I'll go look. In the most unsupportive tone imaginable. So before we get into him going, and this is uh, this is very nitpicky, obviously. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I don't like being taken away from uh, the characters is that it, in the book, it is time and time again, Danny is a daddy's boy. The mm. the way mm-hmm. Jack and Danny are together yeah, is something that, that Wendy is jealous of. Yeah. And, it, you know, uh, the times when they talk, Danny doesn't look like he, he looks like he doesn't feel safe with his dad. But one of the biggest moments about this is the turning the tables on Wendy because Danny says she did it. And then for that split second and he gets to turn it back on Wendy. Oh, you think I did this. Mm-hmm. He just said you did this. We don't get that. Except uh, we don't need it because he blames her regardless. <laughs> Jack is his dad. Movie Jack is his dad. Yeah. That's we, that's pretty succinct. Yeah. <laughs> I I yeah, because his his relationship to his father is not it's mentioned m- at all. Right, in and, and Danny and Jack's relationship is, as I had that thought because I was like, yeah, we don't have any of that, which I, mm. I would love. That's not this kind of movie. And it made me realize, oh, what, what Jack Nicholson's Jack is, is more like the kind of stereotypical father figure of maybe a couple decades before that, like maybe 50s-ish. And then that it's like, oh, like his dad would have been. That's kind mm. of more the relationship we see. Yeah, Dan- Danny is very huh. obviously much more scared of Jack mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning. Yeah, I would say. All right, Jack has to go look in room 
237. <laughs> Good. And it's unnerving. <laughs> it's a, And it's so unnerving because it is preceded by this like beautiful walk creepy but beautiful walk through of just this insanely decorated colorful room and the camera movement which was something that was new at the time oh my god i'm an idiot i can't remember the mechanism but that was steady cam shots yeah steady cam that makes sense that was really one of the first times this was done in a film so all of those sort of rolling shots in and out of things people hadn't really seen something like that before and even though we have a lot since then it still got me oh nobody's done it better yeah Yeah, it's just the slow pay it takes its time and it is 100 confident that you Mm. are you are taking in everything you're seeing even though you're not seeing anything yet it's the buildup, which usually is more terrifying than the moment, but in this film, it's not. <laughs> it's just more terrifying piled on top. I've never been more scared of a naked woman standing still. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, I am such a fan of long shots, of long pages. <laughs> You're going to say nudity. <laughs> also, well, also, not enough Grady Titters. I wanted to go back to the potential. <laughs> yeah. So this filled the titter hole in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) It it is so spooky to watch this woman. There's no dialogue. It's just leaning over, getting out of the tub. She could have come out of that tub so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she looks nine feet tall when she gets out of it based Mm -hmm. on like how they set up the room. You would have to climb her if you wanted to get it on. (laughs) And then the way she walks like she still feels like she's larger than life as she gets towards the She swims to him. Yes. And then when Jack comes in, you're like, oh, she's the size of a normal person. This isn't scary. <laughs> but it's still just the what I said to you guys after that was imagine how many times they had to do that take because it's just one long Oh God, it's, it's so it's amazing and it's horrifying and it's tense. And all of the And it hasn't even been scary yet. No, <laughs> and, and even when it gets scary, there's so many subtle changes leading up to that because he jack doesn't say anything he's just given her looks that he cycles through a few different ones and they're just all they all say so much and i could not describe a single one (laughs) And, and he embraces her and they're kissing and you're kind of close up on them and then all of a sudden it seems like all of a sudden you notice wait a minute that's it must not have the happened same when, woman. He cut, when they cut to her. <laughs> yes, her hair, you can see a little gray and just the facial features are not quite as firm. And then, of course, it cuts to the mirror and she uh, looks like what a corpse would look like if it had been in decomposing in a bathtub. The makeup is sick. It, and yeah. seeing it like crystal clear, normally that ruins it. <laughs> I, it does not, not at all. Really, actually sick. It made me feel sick yeah. for a second. <laughs> and the fact, so many modern movies like just will not linger on a monster, and th- mm-hmm. they make sure you see every fucking bit of that makeup because it just lingers and cuts back and forth between her looming after Jack as he stumbles backwards out of the room and her lying dead in the bathtub uh, and slowly coming out dripping wet. It's so fucking scary. Uh, 
<laughs> and I, for a minute, I couldn't tell because I was like, oh, we're seeing now what happened to Danny. That's and, what I thought. Yeah. And, and Danny and Dick are shining at that moment. Oh, so I was yeah. like, are we just seeing what happened to Danny or is oh, Danny showing Dick oh what happened God, to him? I we didn't even about talk that. about because it cuts to, yeah, during, while this is all happening, it cuts to Danny and he's sitting up in bed and drooling and shake and same thing with it's where we see uh dick oh, halloran's titty posters it, it was right before that yeah we stop it's we gotta Dick's break the scene room. down we before kind of some of the stuff we've talked about with with jack having this experience in there because as we said we're cutting back and forth we are in florida and dick is in bed watching the news and the news is somehow talking about both florida and colorado because that's i'm sure what all florida news reports on those just those two areas (laughs) and we we pan out and we see this naked painting of this beautiful black woman behind him and we're like first we see it over one over the tv oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) he's like on on opposite ends just surrounded it was really cool setup it's It it says so much about Dick Halloran. He can get fucked whenever he wants. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Who? That's the other complaint I have that we'll get to. Is that Dick Halloran is completely misused? In my opinion, absolutely. Okay, so Danny is catatonic basically, and Wendy's trying to talk to him. And this is when we get. I I think this is a very iconic scene line. Would one of you like to talk about it? Yeah. Um. Because Danny is in his full catatonic state, uh, Tony, the little boy in his mouth, decides to take over the conversation. And in his very creepy voice, says, Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance. And it's so unnerving. This kid, man. He does such the, a great job. Yeah. The, the way this kid does the Tony voice hmm. could be very silly. Yeah, but it's not. but it's not. You would if if I was sitting here doing it, it would be very silly. But the honesty mm-hmm. and the full blank slate that Danny goes in when he speaks as Tony, even in the beginning, there's a, he's having a conversation with Tony by himself, mm-hmm. and you see him differently. Yeah, he it's, does a good job. It's wild. Yeah, as all of this is happening too, we we have scenes cutting back and forth between. Jack taking apart the CB radio and Dick, you know, trying to get people to call and check on him and getting a flight and and kind of making all of these moves because they can't be reached. And so I just want to mention that in case we get too lost in some <laughs> other detail from, from one random scene. How? How could <laughs> I, that happen? Yeah. Give me four examples from this episode. <laughs> this is where Wendy is coming back to check on Jack and he's not at his typewriter she sure is. Um, I, we never address this. What? The giant fucking book next to his typewriter. Is that supposed to be? It looks like the scrapbook. Because yeah. when the one oh. time, the one time you see close-ups of it, it is newspaper clippings. Mm-hmm. But it oh, is. I didn't even connect that. Yeah. And I don't think we see it again. It's no, in like it's never one mentioned. Scene. Never it's... mentioned. But every time you see the table, it's out on again, the table. Again, something someone who's a fan of the book would put in there. What? It's uh, just such a weird detail but it, but with this uh, adaptation it's a waste well, <laughs> it's, it's a pointless I don't, I don't feel that way about all the because there are a lot of things like that and for some reason they don't hit me that way even though i would complain about them in something else as being fan service and i i think it's just because of the atmosphere of the movie itself it doesn't stand out it, it's not like 
It's not so wink and naughty. It's more, I'm doing this for me, and if you catch it, great. And if you don't, I don't care. It's the same thing with the Stovington shirt. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a cool thing. They're like, oh, that could be that. And then mm-hmm. that's pretty much all you need out of it. Let's talk about what Wendy finds when she looks at the book that Jack, the very long book that Jack has been writing. <laughs> Goddamn manuscript. She finds a single piece of paper that says, feeling fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So this reminded me because, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Very iconic. Mm-hmm. There, I, If you Google it, you'll see photos of sheets of paper with that typed in it. What I had forgotten mm-hmm. was the piece that she pulls out is full of typos, weird spacing. But then I'd completely forgotten that when she goes through the giant stack of gotta be more than 200 pages, all of them, it's written in book format. Mm-hmm. But Paragraphs every sentence, quotations. it's all... <laughs> That one phrase over and over and over and over. And it is is such a cool piece of just like production design. God, it's Mm -hmm. so cool. Especially because like back then someone fucking typed that. Do you think they're okay? (laughs) (laughs) I hope they got that book published. (laughs) Okay. I would buy that. Yeah, I would. I would buy that to just have a book on my shelf. A lot of people would buy that. There were no duplicate pages each one of them was yes definitely unique fucking great Uh, this next scene when jack finds wendy looking at his book shelly duvall's performance here and jack nicholson this scene makes my eyes burn thinking about this is what i was talking about the Mm -hmm. the at the beginning of the episode this is an incredibly difficult scene to watch because of what we know about behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But fuck. The the performance that Shelley Duvall gives is... I, I mean, that both of them give. Because Jack Nicholson is also so unbelievably scary. Yes. In this moment. In a really upsettingly real way. He... Oh my god. He would have made a great Norman Daniels. Oh. Still time. There is. <laughs> yeah. Nor... <laughs> I'm sorry. I do need to see an adaptation of Rose Matter in which Norman Daniels is 80 years old. <laughs> I I mean, I'd That's still watch it. That's a 70-year-old Rosie finding herself. She's finding herself. It'd be a way different movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So they have this terrible exchange in Wendy immediately when she sees him because she finds the what he's actually been typing. And she you can tell she's just trying to figure out how to play it cool, guys. Like, I'm not going to ask him what the shit is, what's wrong with him, what's going on. I'm just going to, I think she ends up saying, I'm just confused. Yeah. I want to go to my room. <laughs> I she need says, to lay down and think. My God. It, it's like she couldn't even think of what to say to him and was babbling almost like, like she was a child again. And Jack doesn't let up a single thing that she says. Does not. Mm-mm take any of the bait or excuses he presses on asking her questions like to be more spoke. be more specific about the thing you just said i don't think you believe mm-hmm. that and it gets so intense and it, it's super no, gaslighting it, it is, oh, i was just yeah. about to say yep. that it is exactly him saying oh you need because she's it's saying, a master gas he, he is saying <laughs> Nailed it. Gas, gas <laughs> because what is it he, he's like you have ideas 
about how what we need to do about Danny, and I'd like to hear it because you're mm. planning things behind my back. And her plan is we should get him to a doctor, mm -hmm. and he takes that as a you're in. Do you hear the insane things that you're saying? It's a do very you? condensed version of a few chapters that we get in the mm -hmm. book of these conversations. It's really cool. <laughs> And horrible. And uh, but and the, the end of it, the I, end I of it just, is the fucking best. I was gonna say yeah. the only cool part of this scene is how when, sexy his. Oh no, no, <laughs> yeah. His uh, they, she's backing up, and they reach the top of the stairs, and he's reaching for the bat, and she's been swinging the bat at him, and finally he reaches, and she smacks his hand away with the bat, and the look the of look. like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, look on Jack Nicholson's mm -hmm. face of like. Wait, that can't be. I just got hurt. You hit me. And he has this shocked look. And then she wails him across the forehead. And he falls down a flight of stairs. Fall, like, I'm surprised he's alive. Wow. The actor. That, yeah. That the, stunt, stunt man fall. that yeah, did that. Holy shit. And then she drags him into the uh, the cupboard in a really tense scene. Yeah. Another right starts, out of the book moment. He starts that, waking up way earlier than I thought he would. Yeah. I like that they kept that, uh, her not unlocking it, mm. freaking out. That was another small piece that I was like, God, I'm really mm -hmm. glad because that, that tension is so, so great. I, I think we accidentally skipped over it. We get the visit Oh, no. Did we talk about Grady? No. Okay. But God, there is Sorry, something I want to say about Grady. Let's talk about Grady. We can talk about the first time he met him <laughs> and this time because this is where he comes back. Yeah. Go for it, Josh. Uh, he Grady bumps into him as he's leaving with his bourbon and before pours, the pantry. Yeah, before yeah, all this the pantry second, stuff. Uh, party scene. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is a scene where he's in the gold room and there's actually it, it's full of people in tuxedos mm -hmm. and ball gowns. Yeah. Uh, and he gets a drink spilled on him, so Grady takes him to the bathroom to uh, wet a cloth and, and clean him off. And they have this in the fucking most amazing bathroom. That bathroom mm -hmm. set is so sharp. I love it. Uh, they have this conversation. I, I looked it up on, on IMDb, and in the quotes, it says, for Jack's line, counts to 35 silently in his head. Don't I know you from somewhere? Mm. When he first like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of the faces he makes as he's thinking about this, he made so many faces it's, in that bathroom. Like, <laughs> it, it's so cool because throughout this the the movie, he does such an amazing job of just saying nothing, but you know exactly what is going yeah. through his head. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Josh, the scene that you brought up where Danny is hurt and Wendy blames Jack and runs off. There are these two shots. It's her picking Danny up. You did this. Cut to Jack. And he has this look of just utter confusion. Like he, he completely does not understand. And you see it and you go, oh, I know exactly what he thought. Cut to Wendy. She runs off. Cut back. It's the same exact look, except he's furious. Yeah. Yeah. And it is <laughs> silent. It is wordless. It is motionless. And it is completely, completely readable, understandable. It's amazing. In this scene in the bathroom, he is doing the same thing, except his emotions are completely unreadable. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of them that he yeah. goes through very quickly. Yeah. Okay. So this is a moment that I could see a strong pull from the book that made me think of something in a whole new light that yeah. I'm very excited about. He's telling Grady 
you were the caretaker. This like, and he is very insistent, no matter how mm-hmm. much Grady mm-hmm. to the like the insistence to the point that felt desperate. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to pull why, and I realized something because if Jack is staying here and the last caretaker wound up a servant, oh, yeah. what does that mean for him? And well, that's that why he's moment. so he's so desperate to be like, no, I'm right about this, like because. If if I'm right yeah. about this, then that is that's the ominous thing that I'm th- that's the monster in the corner. I don't want to look at that. Mm. That's a possibility mm-hmm. for me. And it made like it just connected so cool. some roads yeah. that made me very excited about that scene. Oh, we also get a diminishing of Dick's profession. Yeah. yeah. The, the... In the same scene where Jack is trying to grapple with the idea that he's going to be demoted as yeah. soon as he's yeah um now that's an interesting yeah with with grady having been demoted by the hos uh, the mm-hmm. hospital uh by kingdom hospital <laughs> uh, what are we watching by the hotel and then the hotel also having because of its inherent evil racism mm-hmm. i guess uh that a building is racist sure that it says some unkind things about Dick, but also calls him the cook. At the beginning of the movie, Ullman introduces, and I noted this because it's different from, we we noted in the mm-hmm. book, that he's called a cook. And he's like, and Wendy thinks, that's weird because it's such a nice place. Yeah. Why wouldn't he be the head chef? Racism. But they, they introduce him as here is our head chef, Dick Halloran. And I was like, that's cool. But when Grady, the mouthpiece of the hotel, calls him the cook mm-hmm. which uh is clearly such a good catch such a, a minor <laughs> uh, such a, a subtle like yeah this this hotel is a, a bad a really bad place for more than just the ghosts also because we passed it and i'm sorry i just want to mention Th- we had so that awesome scene with danny riding his trike god how did we skip that god with, that oh, yeah. i know with with He's making turns and the layout is impossible. Can't happen. <laughs> and it just it further it the hotel, like you said earlier, Ben, is a character in this movie the way it is a character in the book. And we also get the scene where Danny sees the sisters again upstairs and it's like flashing from them standing at the end of the hallway. Man, those girls stand just so <laughs> terribly creepy. <laughs> And it's cutting from that to them lying bloody, you know, hacked up. And so. just lingers on it just enough for you to get a detail the first time and then a different detail the second time. Yep. And then it's gone. Is it weird that this entire sequence, I couldn't stop thinking of the cartoon Rocco's Modern Life? <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. There's an episode of Rocco's Modern Life where Heifer, the cow gets a job as a nighttime security oh guard and then the rest of the episode is just a sh- the shining spoof. <laughs> I've seen yeah. that one. Uh, I've seen it and it's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm going to look it up and, and send it to you guys. Please. Okay, let's talk about Wendy waking up to Danny, Tony. <laughs> oh god. That's like I said, the Danny voice, the the Tony voice is very creepy and I don't know the, all the things he said could not have been out of that kid's voice. They had to put like an effect on his voice for some of those. Because he, they, when he starts yelling, red rum, well, and it's I couldn't like, tell if so... it was an effect or if it was just almost like the like they let it distort a little bit. 
Maybe. Because yeah, it kind of sounded like distortion, but in a purposeful way, not a like shitty yeah. audio way. Yeah, but uh, Wendy has locked Jack in the pantry, taken the butcher knife, and gone for a nap. I'd be exhausted after that, too, mm. to be yes, honest. she deserved a nap. <laughs> and Danny's been catatonic this whole time, so he gets up and walks over, takes the butcher knife away. All while saying red oh, rum. Saying red quickly. rum over and over, grabs some red lipstick and writes it. Oh, I thought he cut himself. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I, I thought him. so, too. Jesus. Because he picks up this big-ass knife that Wendy has. Facing him. like facing, facing him and runs his thumb over the blade. And I was like, He Fuck, writes it in blood. I didn't remember <laughs> that this child writes red rum in blood. That's what I thought, too. And no, he doesn't. He goes across the room and picks up lipstick and writes in lipstick on the door red rum. Um, in a really creepy way with the D and the R backwards in the middle, which like it, that's cool. I wonder if they had to train the kid to write it specifically. I like thought that. about that too. I'm like, how many times did he have to practice that? Yeah. <laughs> with lipstick. <laughs> it's hard to write with lipstick. All right. Let's no, no. It's, Jack's locked up. Yeah. Jack is locked up. Oh, sorry. We, we got distracted talking about Brady. What? Grady. Grady. Whatever. I can't even. <laughs> so we were talking about Grady. He is back. And he is on the other side of the pantry door, just poking Jack. Titterlessly. T- titterlessly. I, I, I need that on record. No titters. No titters. Uh, but, I mean, it's pretty accurate. It's pretty uh, accurate. He, yeah. he says, you know, Wendy's kind of got one over on you. Maybe yeah. we should have, you know, been with dealing with her. Right. And Jack's uh, like, all right, kick me when I'm down. I get it. But I will get out here and I will fuck some shit up. And we hear the latches being undone. Mm-hmm. I do wish if if I could pull unimportant random bullshit from the book into this movie, what I would love is the scene when he comes out and on the counter are, you know, a fifth of gin and like mm-hmm. his drinks and his weapon are there. Yeah, we only see him drink like one or two drinks, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And yet it, we see him drunk a lot more. Because there's a fairly early scene, well before drinks have been introduced. It, we know that he's been sober for five months. There's a scene between him and Danny where you pointed out, Josh, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. he's using drunk a drunk voice. voice. He has a slur already. Something I found interesting, he is five months sober, but in the conversation earlier, he quit drinking three years ago when he broke Danny's arm. Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah. So does that mean Wendy lied? No, or I, I, he think that lied. Means, I think that means he's fallen off a few times. But it, professionally, he said, like, in company, they would say yeah. he quit oh after that incident with Danny. Yeah, I did not catch that. Yeah. Fuck. Dang, you guys. It, ju- it jumped out to me because he mentions it during the tour yeah. when they're at the bar. And I was like, wow. oh, boy. Jack is after his family. He is making his way upstairs and Wendy is hiding with Danny. They go into the bathroom, the murder room, (laughs) the murder door, and she opens the window. And remember, they're on the third floor. They're still on the third floor. The snow is so high that he slides down this huge avalanche of snow to not really safety because we know how cold it is. And the scene of Wendy trying multiple times because she can't get it open all the way to squeeze through the opening an escape is very tense. And the the image of her hanging halfway out the window. Mm-hmm. She's like and you almost still don't, you don't know out, where Jack is. And you don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's like screaming down at Danny. Just mm-hmm. run. Hide. Uh, it's so intense. 
I did at this point, I'd always had the thing in the back of my head. I'd always had this thing in the back of my head about the axe versus the rogue mallet. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now I feel like I've really come to terms on the side of the axe in this movie. (laughs) Only because I, one, the, the reason being you won't hit anyone with an axe unless you're hitting them to kill them. Mm. Uh, whereas like the rogue mallet, the scenes are like, he beats Wendy yeah. with that rogue mallet pretty severely. And let's face it, if Kubrick was shooting that, that would not yeah. have gone safely. Uh, I feel like, so I feel like going with the, the sharp versus blunt played out for the, the drama here. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've left, I've laid that to rest on my <laughs> uh, petty gripes. <laughs> so we have the scene with Jack busting through the the doors with the axe and saying, here's Johnny, the iconic line. Mm-hmm. But he gets interrupted because Dick comes on his snowcat. Yeah, and- the same way in the book, hearing the motor sets, the, you check in kind of with everybody at the point mm-hmm. of that motor. And so Jack leaves to take care of that. And unfortunately, this is Dick. Is, this is almost a Stephen King move, except we like this character so much. <laughs> so I don't think we so much enjoy that. But Dick does not last long. He it's just is, to pump the body count. I, I counted. Uh, he is in the hotel for less than a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I he, was counting in my head also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for less than a minute, you hear him in the distance yelling and Jack mm-hmm. slowly coming to the lobby. And then it cuts to Dick walking through this empty lobby and the music and everything. And you're just, every muscle in my body was tense yep. because you just know it. Something Jack is going to pop out, which is exactly what he does. Mm-hmm. Steps out in like two big steps and buries the axe in Dick's chest. Yeah, brutal. It, and- it's just interesting the way it was shot because you see him coming at him, and normally it's kind of cut so that it seems like you don't get a good look at him doing it, and you see Dick freeze, and it makes so much sense that mm-hmm. he froze. I feel like you're wa- as he's passing the pillars that he eventually jumps one, out. Yeah, yeah, every single one. You're like there, now, yeah, now. The, the lobby oh God, is so when? enormous, yeah. and there are so many hiding places. Hmm. I just want to touch base. Uh, how do we feel about that that change of Dick dying? It, this is why I, I I felt like it was a they used him as a red herring. Like the whole movie that we spend so much time with him, with his journey across you know we see him in the plane we see him mm-hmm. talking on the phone with a friend to get the the snowcat and all of this and you're like oh he's coming something's going to happen and you know less than a minute less than a minute he doesn't have a chance to do anything which i guess is you know the rug pull yeah but i i just wish there was a little bit more you know yeah it would have been nice to have a happy ending with the three of them but also that. Yeah, I, I honestly can't really complain about much of anything in this, even if I like things from the book better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just get through the rest of this. Um, Wendy meets Roger. I just have to mention it. It's just... What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yes. I forgot the character's she, name. She finds Dick's dead body. She's moving through the hotel in parts we haven't seen before and comes upon this room after she finds Dick is dead and she's even more freaked out. And it's the scene with the with Roger uh, giving Derwent a blowjob. Mm-hmm. And it just zooms in to them. And they're both kind of looking at her like, in or out, lady. We got <laughs> stuff to do. <laughs> I, just, I noticed for the first time that the butt was cut out of his costume. <laughs> oh, That's what I noticed the first time. 
beautiful moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they seem like they they care about each other more than yes. they do in the book. Yes. It's very romantic. Yeah. Wendy goes up a bunch of stairs in this house in the look, Overlook. <laughs> it is such a weird moment because it, it can't be the same yeah. building. She like, walks to the sixth floor of this three full floor yeah. building pretty much. It is crazy. It's so cool. And let's talk about basically the end of the movie with Danny running through the hedge maze for a very long time. But usually mm-hmm. when I say something like that, it'd be forever. Yeah. No, it's perfect. I I think the ending is a little anticlimactic for me. Personally. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, because he's running through and it's really, you're, you're right, it's very, very long it's the last like 10 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. of of danny just running and jack following him and following the footprints and you're like oh he can't get away how do you hide well you don't know where they are in relation to each other because mm-hmm. you have no sense for the maze so you don't know if they're running towards each other even though he's following him and following his footprints mm-hmm. and and danny finally stops and it shows him walking backwards uh, through his own footprints to try and get back far enough and then jump to the side so that he doesn't continue leading, which is brilliant, so but also so scary because yes. he does it so slowly. Yes. He does it so painfully slowly. And you cut and the to whole Jack. time, yeah. Jack is running. Well, he's like limp running. Well, limping because he limps from the point he falls down the stairs on. But it, it's so tense, but he hides and Jack reaches the end of the the footprints Danny skirts him and runs off and gets out of the maze finally runs to Wendy they get in the tomcat and they drive off when Jack hears the engine of the snowcat it's my favorite thing he like the way he doesn't say words He's letting out just these sounds this is the closest we have to in the book when Jack is gone. Yeah, the, this is arguably not Jack anymore because he's wailing an animal inhumanly mm-hmm. inhuman monsters. He, we get a few more. I don't even know how long, but just more of him running and howling after them. And right before that, and then as this is happening, these the very minor change in how cold and worn out he looks was so effective because you're you can tell you're like he's out there too long like it just passed survival Mm -hmm. he's also like grabbing his chest yeah uh, Yeah. the whole time the whole time so i was like oh is he having an an episode Mm -hmm. you know and then he he sits down and it holds on him for a moment kind of like the silhouette of him and then, a beautiful shot. Yeah. Yes. And then hard cut startling me. I didn't expect oh, it. I knew it was coming, but I didn't remember that it was just so no fanfare. Just boom. It is right in front of him. Close up on his. We have frozen Jack Torrance. Can which I ben, you don't like something. Yeah. Um, I have always found that cut hilarious. It, it is, is funny. It yeah, is the bit. look on frozen yeah. Jack for Torrance's face. He's making just a dumb face. He's making a. I think it's also funnier because we live in an age where we've seen that still photo. Like, oh, that for was years. So we've had yeah. plenty of time to dissect that stupid look. I bet it would have been scary. I, I bet, the, I bet, I the bet first if time I had you seen see this movie before, <laughs> it would be really scary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That and then that's not quite it. We cut to a very hotly debated and discussed 
image of a picture hanging up on the wall inside of the Overlook, and it is uh, of the masquerade in 1921, and Jack is featured front and center in his tuxedo. Sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, uh, I, again, I think it's it's a, a fan moment. I think he was just yeah. showing like, yeah, Grady, you know, we've had this conversation about you've always been the caretaker. I think it was just a way to show that visually that yeah. leaves people. I, I love an ambiguous ending, especially too. in a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Now that this movie's over, can, can I blaspheme for a second? Get it, girl. I want a, a The Shining remake. I want a new The Shining. Not a remake. I don't. Okay. That would, that's incorrect. I want a new adaptation of The Shining. Okay specifically done by either Ari Aster or David Eggers. What movies are you? Ari Aster directed, uh, wrote and directed, I believe, Hereditary and Midsummer. I haven't seen that either. Oh, fuck. And David Eggers has made three, what I would argue, nearly perfect movies that I'm definitely going to be able to name right now. (laughs) (laughs) The Witch. Yeah. The Lighthouse, and The Northman. Oh, I haven't watched The Northman yet for some reason. So both of these directors Mm -hmm. have this quality of making everything so um, surreal and dreamlike, which obviously is my favorite thing in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I I truly believe that either one of them could turn out an absolute masterpiece of The Shining. Without a doubt in my mind, I, I would pay any amount of money to see David Egger or Ari Aster's The Shining. Please, Hollywood, please. <laughs> Get at us awesome. on Twitter, guys, directors. Let's uh, let's make this happen. <laughs> okay, let's rate this. I'm going to do you both a favor and go first. Yeah. Because I've I feel almost like I've been a listener in some of in some of the Shining episodes. Not in a bad way. It's just I know where I stand on it. In watching you two talk about it and. Josh, I'm gauging where you land, so I'm really curious. (laughs) So I want to save the best for last, you two. Five out of five blue chambray (laughs) shirts. This movie fucking rules. If you don't like it because it doesn't follow the book, I get it, and that's okay. And I'm glad that, Josh, you're kind of in that same boat, and you were able to make all of the really excellent points. You know, many of our listeners, I'm sure, share and feel very, very strongly about so if you don't give it five listeners, that's cool. I just love mm-hmm. it. And it's great and fun. And that's my rating. I hate it. It's a masterpiece. Five out of five. Blue <laughs> shirts. Perfect. No, the, uh, that, I, it's, I, I could ramble on about it, but no, like I still hate the things that I hated about it before, but watching it so fresh after reading it mm-hmm. and having this discussion, just like anything else, you know. There are so many movies that you discover so much the more you watch. We could watch this movie a hundred times mm-hmm. and still find something new. I bet it's it is a it's a masterpiece. There's no two ways about it. Ben, I am going to have maybe a controversial take. The movie taken on its own with it just what is on the screen. Obviously, a five out of five. It is one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. Um, it's insane to me that I watched this at a point in my life and was like, nah, not for me. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> However, I have to say, when I say watching the scenes of Shelley Duvall in distress mm-hmm. yeah. is incredibly difficult, I, I mean that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, 
all of those scenes as as moving and powerful as those performances are the methods and and knowing knowing that this movie basically destroyed a human life it affects my rating it taints your um and and this is the really hard part because how do you numeric put a number on that and you can't obviously so i'm i I have I cannot give this movie a five out of five mm-hmm. because it just feels wrong for me. Obviously, if if you did, it, it's not a problem. It is a, a nearly perfect movie, yeah, and I think that's perfect. But I I think I have to give this four out of five blue chambray shirts with with an asterisk. Fair enough. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we are starting insomnia. And we are reading through chapter six. For Benjamin Graham and Sam Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, God, I'd give anything for a drink. I'd give my goddamn soul for just a glass of beer. Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Shining Part 4. We hope you enjoyed it. Many of you have asked us to cover the miniseries as well, and we are doing that. You'll be able to find those episodes on our Patreon page, and the first one will come out at the end of the month as of this episode's release date. So please check that out. If you are not currently a patron, you can have access to all of that at the $5 and up tier. We have a ton of bonus episodes to keep you occupied between releases, and we're always adding fun and new formats to what we do there. There's a bit that didn't make the final cut of this episode that I'll share with you at the end of this, but first, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com and check out our Etsy store for dairy and Stephen King-related merchandise. I hope you enjoy this next bit. I did it when I was three years old (laughs) over my entire body. I used up my mom's whole tube of red lipstick (laughs) to paint myself face and everything face and everything head to toe there's a picture of me completely red lipstick in a diaper that's hilarious (laughs) she was so mad that's so much better (laughs) holy shit that's great uh my only experience drawing with lipstick was in high school uh theater uh we had we had to draw the naked lady every show what? Is, is that not an, a <laughs> universal experience? Ever, not one I've heard of. So so in my high school, the theater, uh, we had a lot of uh, just very strange uh, traditions that we Theaters we do. Yeah. And um, downstairs, our dressing rooms were under the stage. This can all get cut out. This is not important <laughs> at all. But under the stage was where the dressing rooms were. And on one side was the girls' dressing room. And on the other side was the boys' dressing room. And the boys, every show, there was a tradition that on opening night, one of one of uh, the, the cast members would go to the full-length mirror and take steal a lipstick from the girls' dressing room and use the lipstick to draw a full-length mirror size <laughs> naked lady on the mirror. That's amazing. And these were high school boys, so they were not well drawn <laughs> or, or particularly accurate to any kind of real female anatomy. We can make this happen. I have a mirror right there. Hey, give me some lipstick. Let's go. <laughs> 
That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.